Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Pat Nevin, Chelsea hero, punditry god, and all-round cool guy. Play for Chelsea, Everton, Tranmere, Clyde, Kilmarnock, and Motherwell. 28 caps for Scotland, two-time Chelsea Player of the Year, big Bell and Sebastian fan, and of course author but let's see what the book club thought in today's football book club i tried really hard not to be a professional footballer and failed <laughs> <laughs> when you go to the, um, iraq and play in front of saddam hussein that was uh, did not see that bit coming gates come in there dj'd after me a couple of weeks later he seemed perfectly normal imagine that happening now i just can't imagine like jamie vardy doing paperwork for zane low at radio one <laughs> <laughs> i will recommend this to people who aren't even into football books well it's all right being different it's all right being yourself it's all right being an individual Hello and welcome to Football Book Club, the only book club where instead of literary classics, each week we read yet another footballer's autobiography. Less James Joyce, more Marco Royce. And thank you, Matthew Brazier, for sending in that one. Jack, you're not too sure about that. Oh, Neither's Pat. No, no. one's. Oh, everyone's <laughs> stretch. No one's stretch. Oh, okay. Wow, we've let everyone. Down. It was also the way he had to. It's the way he had to say Marco Royce. Is that yeah, not how you pronounce it? Yeah. No, no, but no, to make it fit with James Joyce, it sort of felt like you were saying it in a weird way. Okay, okay. Well, you I think James James would be disappointed. Marco would be disappointed. <laughs> and Matthew is definitely disappointed now from this reaction. Uh, I'm James Buck, and over the weeks we're reading classics such as Jimmy Bullard's Bend It Like Bullard and the Terry Venable's Soccer Quiz Book 1980. But today we have an extra special episode where we're reading Pat Nevin's new book, The Accidental Footballer, with Jack Bernhardt. Hello. James Balgen. Hello. And welcome to the show, the one and only Pat Nevin. Hello, and uh, A, thank you for having me on, and B, thanks for going to the trouble of reading it. I'm impressed. Oh, <laughs> of course. We don't get sent many books. So uh, I mean, oh. it, it was a joy. It was a joy when we received it. And it's. Um, it, it, I feel upset that we've, we've compared your great book to Terry Venable's quiz book 1980. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm editing my head. I'm putting it on Rejoice. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, how are you doing today, Pat? You good? Uh, great. I've, just, I've had an exciting day today. I've just got back from Portugal this morning. Uh-huh. Off away again uh, in a couple of days' time over to Bruges which I love, Bruges, but watch Man City play there. And then the next day, I have to get back at the crack of dawn. You have no idea how hard it is to get from Bruges to London, right? It's ridiculous. It's it's quarter of the distance from Edinburgh, right? Yeah. But it takes four times as long. Is it, it is that, mental. Is it that bad to get to? I <laughs> it thought is, I thought it was just a little mental. Eurostar across. Maybe I've, maybe I've imagined that in my head. It, 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 it is kind of when you get to Bruges, to Brussels, or drive down to Cali, 
And then when you're there, they used to do the Eurostar every 20 minutes. Not any longer. Uh, <laughs> thanks a lot, COVID. Hey, it's not a complaint. I'm very fortunate. It's a good job. And I'll be back in time to watch Chelsea Marmo. So that's good for me. I mean, it, it, it sounds great. It sounds great. And Portugal was non-football related? Yep, non-football. It completely just three, four days. Uh, do you notice where I said three or four days there? Because of a... Uh, unclear COVID test. It was only three days, but yes, it was brilliant. Totally oh. refresh. And also, you, you, this must have been just after you were doing um, co-commentary for the Scotland games as well. Yeah, I was doing the, the, the Scotland v Israel game. I was at that game. It was just wow, incredible. Um, you look back and you know, having played in eight hundred and fifty games mm-hmm. and having gone and watched as a fan and then covered there's thousands of games. How many of them really live? Really live in your memory. That one will. Yeah. It was astonishing the power and the passion and the feeling and the importance. It was just, and also that the fans back in in big numbers mm. for the first time. Honestly, it was, uh, and then of course a 96 minute goal. So, yeah. you know, after that, it was a bit dull. <laughs> yeah, <of> <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what was, I tell you what was funny about that commentary. Um, I listened to the audiobook version of your book, didn't read it. So I've been taking you everywhere with me, the supermarket, the gym, in my car. <laughs> and the other night, it was last week, wasn't it? I got in my car, and as I turned on the car, your voice was there straight away. So I just assumed it was the audiobook. It was actually, <laughs> it was actually you doing the Scotland commentary on the game. And, it, and then somebody else started talking. I was like, "What? Like he's doing different voices?" And I was like, "Oh no, this is the radio right now." Just seemed like worried that you you're hearing Pat Nevin everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, you're like. <laughs> I don't know which version of the, when the audio book, because I, I went and read it. It was a very interesting thing to do, because I hadn't read like that before. Yeah. And it's a really new... Do you know what hurts? It actually physically hurts mm. your stomach. Four days worth of um, projecting in a certain way, yeah. but also using one of my five voices. Um, because obviously, I can't use the Glasgow one, because you wouldn't understand a word I said. <laughs> um, so you have to... And it's not the Radio 4 one, because it's just a bit too much. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Hopefully, James, it was the understandable one. It, James has told me he's been very impressed by your Cockney accent, which comes out a couple yeah. of times in the book. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, I thought, because you wouldn't normally do that, but there's a couple of accents in there. Uh, there was even an, an Alan Hansen one. Yeah, you know, <laughs> There was a couple of Alan Hansen stories in the book. Yeah. Certainly one of them where he was... <laughs> ended up sitting beside me and my wife as I was about to propose at a restaurant. Yes. <laughs> I just thought, no. Uh, <laughs> that was so funny. Them. It was good Such fun a doing. good bet. <laughs> I was hoping that, but it's funny you should bring that up because uh, without you've not asked any questions yet, but I kind of wanted to be a bit of fun in the book because I'm kind of habit of coming across a wee bit earnest, which I kind of, I'm not really, and I've become less and less as I've got older. So hopefully there was... At least one or two chuckles. Oh, there, there was, there <laughs> oh, was tons. I even just flicking through just now, there was a moment uh, which was very consistent with the kind of humour in the book, which was something about how you, John Parrott, and Marilyn was it Marilyn, yeah. the singer, yeah. and I, I can't remember the name of the other lady who was in the. Fiona. Yes, Chadwick. that was it. Uh, you were tipped as the faces right of nineteen eighty four. And how you said something like George Orwell will be spinning in his grave, I think was uh, something <laughs> something like that you said. Which I think I missed on first reading. And I went back through it, I was like, ah, oh, that's a great line. You have to throw the, I, I kind of do it with commentary as well, where you, you throw in things now and again that, you know, a certain amount of people will get. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's not being snobbish. It's just, you know, you know, if, if people want to be interested when listening to a commentary or whatever, so you can, I mean, I was doing a game last week, we was done doing Chelsea Southampton for Five Live. And I put in five Bell and Sebastian songs, and quite a few people noticed. But if you didn't notice, it came out 
didn't sound out of place. Sure. They sh- yeah, they weren't crowbarred in, you know. What, uh, dropping them in, like, uh, just just the names of them in... Yeah, oh, yeah, we were talking about, so... I'm talking about Ruben Loftus cheek, you know, and uh, you know it looked really good at the start, and then it went bad, and it, it could have been a brilliant career. And, <laughs> <laughs> Did you manage to get step into my office, baby, in there? Because I think that would have uh, that would have given it away. <laughs> <laughs> One of the bands I really liked was the Pains of Being Pure at Heart, and I managed to get the Pains of Being Pure at Heart into a radio commentary for Five Live, and uh, and nobody, well, apart from the band and people who knew them, noticed, but it was it was actually seamless. Now, that's a hard one to get in their commentary, but, uh, you know, slightly easier than that. I was talking about Arsenal under Arsene Wenger at the time, so the pains of being pure at heart, you can understand. Very nice. <laughs> that works perfectly, yeah. Um, well, oh. we've all read the book, The Accidental Footballer. Um, I can say for sure, uh, as kind of hinted at, it's the only book we've done so far to mention Jesus and Mary Chain, the existentialism of Albert Camus and uh, John Parrott. So uh, none of which have been in any book we've read so far. So let's get into it. Pat, you ready? Go for it. Let's delve into the accidental footballer. Firstly, congratulations on the book coming out. It's a Sunday Times bestseller as well, Pat, mm-hmm. and it's been universally praised. And I know I know you're a cool guy and you're not in it for the critical acclaim or uh, the fame side of things, but that must be pretty nice to hear all the great stuff about it. Do you know, this is the weirdest thing. I never thought about that side of it while I was writing it. I was just writing thinking... This is going to be, this is fun. I'm enjoying every second of it. I love the process. Yeah. yeah, love the process. I mean, it really annoyed the publishers when, uh, because a couple of good stories post the book, because um, they were quite happy with it. And when they, before it came out, it met me on the day it was coming out, um, the guy who was doing the editing. Um, and he never wrote a word for the book, but he just gave us some nice pointers of, sort of feel sure. a couple of times, which was really handy, which you should be listening to, I mean, especially when he's a talented editor. Mm. And he said, did you really like the process? And he said, and I said, yeah. He said, have you thought about writing another one? I went, yeah, there it is. <laughs> I gave him a USB. That, that is, you okay. have, that you've, you've, that's basically, you've done the whole interview very quickly there. Because my last question was, is there a part two coming out? So there we go. <laughs> that's great. That's so good. Just, the, the, the next one is utterly bizarre, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one has its moments. Like the but oh, yeah. when you go to the, um, Iraq and play in front of Saddam Hussein, that was a uh, was a pretty did not see that bit yeah. coming. Yeah, and, and it's it's a kind of weird one because you kind of write it in such a way where you know you've got a story. There's, there's lots of things happen over there. You know, we're playing against a team, but I don't mention it's Iraq. You just know it's somewhere in the Middle East. Yes, hopefully I involve you in the story enough to where you kind of figure, oh, there's somebody over there, and you don't think about it. Yep. And then you get, you get hit with this. You go, what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 yeah it, it definitely lulled me into it, and I had no idea what was going. But uh, do you mind if I, just for people who don't know about the book, do you mind if I read the blurb quickly, just at the front, Perfect. just to give people an idea of what it is? Yeah. I mean, if you want to, you can just say tell people what it is, Pat, but I, just, I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to take over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Nevin never wanted to be a professional footballer. His future was clear. He'd become a teacher like his brothers. There was only one problem with this. Pat was far too good to avoid attention. Raised in Glasgow's East End, Pat loved the game. But as he grew up, he also loved Joy Division, wearing his indie gloom boom coat and going on marches. Hardly typical footballer behaviour. Plays firmly in the 80s and 90s before the advent of the Premier League and often with racism and violence present, Pat Nevin writes with honesty, insight and wry humour. We are transported vividly to Chelsea and Everton and colourfully diverted by John Peel, Morrissey and Knights Out of the Hacienda. 
The Accent of Footballer is a different kind of football memoir, capturing all the joys of professional football as well as its contradictions and conflicts. It's about being defined by your actions, not your job, and is the perfect reminder of how life can throw you the most extraordinary surprises when you least expect it. I know what you mean about the audiobook thing, because I was tired just reading that four, pa- that four paragraph. <laughs> I was like, that is... But it, I mean, it, so- it sounds great, and it is great. We all really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, it was great. It- it almost feels unfair that there are other books that we've been like, that was really good. And then this came along and we were like, oh, this is probably the best. This is just, I will recommend this to people who aren't even into football books. Well, like, but that, that's the nicest thing you can say because one of the things when uh, I kind of, my initial thing is I didn't tell anyone I was writing it. I just wrote it. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. took it to a couple of, you know, publishers. And uh, it, was, it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> one of the first things he said, he goes, was, the loveliest thing was, I, you can write. That, that, that's the <laughs> Like forget everyone else. You wanted it. that was nice, but the second thing was, do you think there's enough football in it? You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, because you see the whole concept of football books. And I know you do a lot of them, but I mean, my eyes glaze over a bit when they say, well, I scored three goals here and I ran down the wing and I done, and I, I'm I've switched off. Yeah, because yep. it's important to them, but and it's important to a very small amount of people. But in actual fact. You've kind of read that and you've seen that. I, I was really hoping for something completely different from that. And it's not how I thought anyway. So um, I really kind of hoped that it would be out with, you know, football people that would read it. There's not that many standing on a soapbox saying, this is what I feel kind of moments. But if there is an underlying story, a line or thing to know about it is, it's okay to be an outsider. Mm. It's actually all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are outsiders. And we live in a time where, you know, everyone's supposed to try and fit in. And I'm saying, well, don't. Be yourself. I think you're more respected for it anyway. But also it's almost to say to people, because most of my friends are kind of outsiders in their own way. And it's to say, don't worry about it. It's all right being different. It's all right being yourself. It's all right being an individual. I'm going slightly Monty Python now. We're all different, except me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that definitely comes across but also i I seem to remember reading before that you've often even though you were an outsider you felt like it wasn't you who was different it was perhaps other people in the in the football in the the, the, the other players on your team and stuff who were a bit more different you were perhaps the normal one in there in many ways well and and in retrospect could you say there was a bit of that i mean if we look at where we are now with you know all the anti-racism stuff that's going on and i'm going i'm shouting about this why aren't you yeah 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 yeah. It would it would appear that I'm the normal one now, yes, in that yeah. one, in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are certain things that, yeah, I I just looked and I didn't understand. But then I was coming from a different world. I was coming from doing a degree. I was coming from you know a different country apart from anything else, political viewpoint, all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. The underline and another underline is, it's, and I hope it comes across in the book. I'm not saying I'm different. I'm better. Absolutely never saying no, that. No, no, and. It's, that's one of the things that I think is misunderstood. Well, was misunderstood about myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're into the arts and you're into theatre and you're into ballet and books. You must think you're better than. No, no, that's fine. Being an autodidact is okay. There's no wrong with that. And from my background in the kind of working class of Glasgow, that's a perfectly reasonable way to be and not considered in any way getting above yourself. I, 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 I don't. I, I'm going to again. <laughs> no. Yeah, make it. Tell us a joke. Yeah, come on, let's. Quick, yeah. yeah. No, get your Cockney accent out, quick. <laughs> One of the nice things is you've, you've already asked a couple of questions, right? And I'm going to try and shut up and answer some questions in a minute, right? But the loveliest thing about this book is, and I read the thing I've enjoyed most, 
I've done a lot of interviews so far, right? Nobody asks the same questions. Ooh. That's been the brilliant thing about so it. So we get a you bit know, of praise back from you. We've given you praise and this is a bit of praise back. Oh, but we're, we're, we're really we on the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a bell out and if you ask the same one, they'll go, ding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. That's no, exactly no, no, what no, the BBC no. World Service asked me. <laughs> Jeepers. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, Keep it original, guys. With, with the book, though, being called The Accidental Footballer, you were kind of an accidental author as well. I know you wrote a book uh, called In My Head, Son. That's what it's called yep. in the past. But it does. It doesn't seem like, as the prologue explains in this book, you didn't really. You only started writing this book as a response to saying you didn't want to write generic articles uh, yeah. for. Uh, you, you don't mention the publication. You don't have to. But uh, you say that there's kind of like a response. You're like, well, sod that. I'm going to go. I, I've got these things to say. I want to do that. And is, is that is that mm. fair to say? You were kind of an accidental author as well. T- totally. I mean, I always meant to get stuff down and write it. Um, uh, funnily enough, my initial idea was a specific book, um, which is going to be number three. So, so that oh. was the initial idea. Right. So the initial idea was a travelogue, right? So, and it's places I've visited and gone to mostly after my career because weird things happened then because I didn't stop doing the same thing. So I travel on my own. I travel weird ways. When I'm in places, I don't go and watch a game, then go to the bar. I do things and I see things and you, you end up getting lots of adventures out of it. So that was the idea originally that I was going to do, but I just never get around to it. And then somebody, this guy really annoyed me. And I felt really sorry because there's a lot of writers out there. And I was thinking mostly of journalists at the time. Mm-hmm. They're now getting told what to write. And they're now getting told you need to do things for clickbait reasons. Um, and it needs to be very short. And people are only interested in A, B or C. You know, and if they're interested in it, you just reflect back what they say. Now, even in my industry that I'm working in just now, punditry, there are quite a few people who, th- who go online, know what's been said, and then get on board with that. And then everybody loves them because they're reflecting back to you. Now, I always felt that was a bit, well, I, I just didn't like it. Mm. right? And I don't find it in any way entertaining. I want to be challenged. So when I was told to go and write like that for a publication, you know, go online and see what people are thinking, then write what they think. And I went, no, <laughs> uh, I kind of didn't say no. I just ignored them. Yeah. But it made me think there is a lot of people out there that are not getting a chance to, you know, say what they want to say. So I thought I'm just going to go write what I want to write in exactly my way. And I'm not going to treat it like an idiot. Um, I'm going to treat it like an intelligent human being. And uh, if you like it, you like it. If you agree, you agree. If you don't agree, you don't agree. But hopefully you'll, You'll enjoy some of it and that was the stance the absolute stance mm-hmm. um and in the midst of it there was there was a difficulty in the midst of the book so it's a skeleton idea so a skeleton is you know the time so it's a time period you run through the time period of your life yeah or a part of your but that's simple right but of course we scots as you've probably noticed in the, the gaelic people generally we go off at tangents all i've been showing you all i've done this already <laughs> right we go all over, all over the place and come back again that's actually really hard to write mm. and it's and I th- and then I got the answer, and and I went up to if I've stolen an idea, I'll tell you, and I did, and it was the the book a couple two or three years ago, and it's um it's called This Is Going to Hurt, and uh, mm. it's a bit, and I don't know if you've read it. Now, yeah, it's an absolute genius piece of work, but within it, a it's about being a young doctor. I was interested in it because my my daughter is, uh, b it laughed. And had fun in what is the most extreme difficult times. Mm. But also it had this wee technique, which was long notes. Yeah. And then you'll notice in the book the long notes, 
the long notes are basically jump out, tell your story, then jump back. Yeah, in. They, they they reminded say, me. Yeah. They were like kind of like um. I I, I was rewatching Malcolm in the Middle at the time I was reading the book, and it reminded me of like Malcolm's little asides when he kind of turns to the camera and says these things. He goes, "Well, that was the story, but then this actually happened," and those kind. Of, I re- I really liked that. And actually, talking of them, I, I was fascinated by uh that you were in so i married an axe murderer that i, I that i did not know my word i'm, I'm so proud of that yeah nobody does. and i mean it's, I, if you have to read it carefully my goal is in it i'm not in it yeah. my goal is in it <laughs> do you <laughs> see you celebrating back. afterwards i can't I... no 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 it's just as a, it goes a freeze frame i don't think they could get the, the rights or whatever because it was a pretty good goal by the way um <laughs> but that's all i'll explain because there's a nice story behind it and it's used in Axe Murderer, which is, and it's at the funniest moment of the entire movie, mm-hmm. I think. And he's shouting at Heed to get out of the way of the telly. And uh, Mike Myers has actually got a right good Glasgow accent. I mean, it's un- unusual that you do get the Americans do that well. Yeah. He's shouting at his son, Heed, out of the way. Then Scotland scored against the USA, and they all start celebrating. And I'm thinking, that was me. <laughs> you didn't know that at all until you watched the film. That was the- No, I was sitting in a movie theater in Chester. That's really My funny. wife and I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, it is a cool film. It's my favourite Mike Myers film. It's his best one, I think. Ooh, I'm a Wayne's World guy. I thought you might like Wayne's World, to be honest, with the music. No, and I do everything. I like Wayne's World. I, like, I, I don't dislike any of the Myers films, but that strikes me as a bit of a kind of almost t- bordering on an art house. It, Mike Myers movie, this one. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, certainly more than Cat in the Hat, I would say. Is, uh, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> hey, don't knock Cat in the Hat. Sorry, I'm okay. really not here to knock Cat in the Hat. Look. Yeah, I, it's, it's up there with Wayne's World and the first Austin Powers for me. That's hey, that's that's my opinion on Myers. But we're not. Here. I'm, I'm I'm game for that. Okay, okay. <laughs> Pat, let's talk about you as a footballer. I mean, it's not going to be the it's not the only thing we talk about, but we mentioned the accidental footballer side a few times. Was there there must have been a moment when you were young at some point where you really did go, yeah, I'd love to be a footballer. There was no moment at all for you. No. Ever? No, never crossed my mind. It's the weirdest. I mean, it does, in retrospect, sound strange. Um, maybe I was utterly confident when I was on a field with a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, out with that, I didn't think, oh, I'm great. I'll make it as a footballer. You know, I just didn't think that way. Maybe there was something playing at the time on me that I didn't know, which was slightly unfair in me, which was I was going to watch Celtic every week. Celtic were the European champions. The players that were playing them were like Kenny Dalglish, you know, and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be as good as that. Sure, <laughs> so, sure, 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 sure. So, and it, it just never really struck me. My, my older brothers were good footballers and, you know, they did it and then they went and did the degree. So it was just a kind of shrug. Yeah, that's what you do. And that's exactly what I kind of planned to do. To, to do a degree and then become know. a teacher? Yeah. Um, I didn't know a bit afterwards. I mean, teacher would be a possibility. Okay. And even a likelihood, seen as both my older brothers became teachers, one became a headmaster, older sister became a lecturer, all that sort of stuff. So the family, you know, the direction was obviously there, but the family, the older ones than me. So I looked just like the next cab off the rank. But, you know, I'm, I'm, there's a line I wish I'd have used in the book. Use it now. I will. Okay. Um, <laughs> Which is, I tried really hard not to be a professional footballer and failed. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I mean, that is the opposite to every other book we've had, where it's always, it tends to be a real struggle. I mean, I know you had, there were struggles along the way in getting into football. Like you, you were turned down as a classic reason at Celtic for being too short, which happens in so many other books as well. We've read and things, but a lot of them are then still desperate to get into it. Whereas for you, it was like, ah, I'll just go to university. 
yeah. If I become exactly. a footballer, and okay. I, I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable and sensible thing. I also think it's very logical mm-hmm. because the logic is what are the percentages that they actually get through and have a career mm-hmm. and have a good living out of it? They're very small. Yeah. They had done the maths on it, you know, and it didn't look great. Um, and the other side of it, and which is really important to underline anyone who's thinking I'm kind of dismissive of it, I'm not. I would argue I loved playing it more than as much, if not more than anyone else, mm. because I love doing it. And there's this dichotomy at the center of it, which I tried to explain to people because I, it was natural for me, which was you can absolutely love it and do it for the pure love of playing football because it is a joyous and gorgeous thing to do. And I love doing it, but it doesn't mean you say you want to be a professional footballer no. mm. and try to get that simple dichotomy across to people, especially people in the game. They couldn't. They just couldn't get it. Yeah, That's I think it's, it's a hard. It's a hard thing to understand, though, because you, as you say, you like you, you went to training and like you, you train harder than anyone else, and it, it the the fact that that is just for the love of the game rather than being you know to actually make it professionally that's such an interesting strange thing because i remember when you get turned down by celtic you say like i actually wasn't that bothered because i was gonna turn them down anyway (laughs) which just that's just bizarre to me but it it makes it completely makes sense from what you're saying it is a a fascinating dichotomy and it's it's interesting to put that across because if you if you write a book in 400 other people have written books and said you know I wanted to be a player and I fought mm. all the way for it. Mm. And it's kind of, yeah, we're being there kind of thing. I'm not trying a new line. I'm just thinking, well, I just didn't think that way. Yeah, no. So I'm going to tell you what I And anyone who reads about it will understand the, the, the joy and love I got out of playing. And also, it's probably pars- partial addiction as well. I mean, I was definitely addicted to adrenaline. Sure. You know, mm. so I'd go on long runs and things like that, which I love the running. I still run all the time now. That's an adrenaline kick and a hit, which I still love to this day. So, there's, there's that in there as well. It's all mixed up inside it. Um, but the odd thing is everyone says, that's weird, that's weird. But of course, from my perspective, my position was perfectly normal. Yeah. And I would say very logical. Yeah. Also, when you're talking about the running, there is a bit in this book where you, you get stuck up a mountain. Um, yeah. yeah. And, is that on the and Isle, like, of, Isle of uh, Aaron. Aaron, that's it. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah. Um, and uh, genuinely, as I was reading it, you were so, it's ba- you get stuck at the top of the mountain, you've injured your, your ankle, and it's getting dark. And I had a really weird moment when I was reading this book, being like, will he survive this? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously that he would will, but twist. then is the, yeah. is the twist at the end of this chapter going to be, and obviously I, yeah. I died up there. Yeah. And <laughs> Saddam Hussein I carried this, me back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wrote this from beyond the grave, so. Uh, you know. Yeah, I'm happy. Kind of read like that, though. There was some tension in it. Yeah, it's really weird. It shouldn't like it shouldn't be tense at all. But I think that's just a there's a there's a lot of anecdotes actually in this book where they're very well structured. And this just sounds like I'm saying how great the book is, but genuinely, you do seem to know everyone, Pat. Yeah, Jack and I had the same note in our things that you very much like and. Please don't take this in the wrong way. Uh, very much like Forrest Gump, where he kind of just ends up like meeting everyone and being in all these situations in history. But whereas he doesn't really know they're happening at the time, you you kind of stumble into them, but obviously are aware of what's going on around. Like you meet all the bands, you bump into Harry Enfield when he's uh, when he's just before Paul he kind Whitehouse, of yeah. yeah, and Paul Whitehouse just before they become well, big. Uh, Saddam, we've mentioned already. All every Scottish footballer who goes like David Moyes when he's a kid. You but me, um, yeah. you save a, a a prima like one of the most famous ballerinas in the world during the London poll tax riots. I yeah. mean, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, Fiona. Like, yeah. Fiona's story is a great one because we met her. We originally talked about it before the faces of '84, and Fiona was one of them. That's how we first met, and then we didn't meet again for a long time because I thought she was very aloof, as some ballerinas tend to to, to be. 
And then I'd gone along to a charity event in Battersea Park, and there was this girl running, bouncing up and down, like just not like not running at all, just bouncing up and down, going far too high. And I thought, well, I'll applaud her in. I applauded her in, and she came over and she goes, "Oh, I'm Fiona. We've met before." And her husband Anthony was there, who's also a principal at the Royal Ballet, and uh, we just fell into chatting and became great friends. Wow. And it's, I think it's just talking to people. Mm. It's just. Um, opening with people and just not treating them in a certain way and listening to them. Um, if they want to be open and listen to you, then it's good. And you tend to meet interesting people that way. Um, going to fancy nightclubs and being seen with the right people and trying to hang about with multi-millionaires, I find that the, the dullest thing in the world, I'll be honest mm, with you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that I knew were trying to do that sort of thing and meet interesting sure. people. And to be honest, here's a wee secret. Billionaires are among the most boring people in the world. Oh. They really are. Because <laughs> they're only interested in money. <sighs> so uh, gen uh, that's a generalization. It's a bad moment Absolutely. to tell you that I'm a billionaire. This is the only three billionaire podcast. Yeah. On, uh... <laughs> in terms of football, cards on the table. Pat, I know you're a big Chelsea fan. I'm a Spurs fan. But... I loved all your segments. Yeah. I loved all your segments. Like you used to go enjoy watching Spurs in the eighties, despite whilst being a Ch Chelsea player to go watch yeah. uh, the European nights, which is the opposite to what would be nowadays. It'd be Spurs fans going to watch Chelsea to watch European football. I, I guess. Again, I don't. I can't see any problem with that. You know, I, now and again, it still happens to this day. If I'm doing a five live commentary, I was doing Chelsea Southampton a few weeks ago, mm -hmm. and some Ch Southampton fans said, "Oh, you're so biased towards Chelsea," and I'm mm -hmm. thinking. Well, I've just said Southampton are the better side at the moment, so that's kind of slightly wrong. People will read you that you have biases towards something. Some team are like, I'll open, I know the team I want to win, but if they're not deserving it, well, I'll tell you. Okay. And, I, and I'll also go to see, I mean, I'm very open about my favourite players, you know, in the Premier League era. It's David Silva, it's not Eden Hazard. And, you know, and, and De Bruyne comes up a lot in the book as well. You mentioned how much exactly. it so it's the, There are people that... I see a purity in that. I see nothing wrong with that. And which team it is? I had, I had a bias against one team. One team in my entire life I didn't particularly like. And that was Rangers because they practiced that religious apartheid. Then they signed Morris Johnson. And then I thought, well, don't have that feeling anymore. Yeah. You know, some fans, some things behave badly, but that's, you know, that happens in every single football club. So mm. I, I just go and watch the games and enjoy the actual, the purity of the entertainment, the football. I don't have a lot of interest for the other side of it. You know, the, I, I often do a lot of things saying, we're going to talk about so-and-so's visit to some film and I'm going, <laughs> doesn't do it for me. No. <laughs> Probably why I'm not on the telly and the radio that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you thought about how much more successful you could be if you just yeah. lost all your values? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> values is what interests you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, there exactly. is a bit where you say in this book, if my team was doing, you know, long ball football mm -hmm. uh, and they were winning, then I'd be like, good for them, but I'm not going to watch them. And that is something where I would like to to be true if I said it. I would really like to say, like, oh, if Arsenal were winning the league and it was through long ball football, I wouldn't want to watch them. But actually, I feel like I, I feel like I'm pretty results based when it comes down to it really as well. I'm, I'm that's a weakness of mine. I'll, I'll admit to that. I've just always felt that way. Maybe it's something from very young. My dad used to take me to games and we used to go and watch Celtic training sometimes and I would just try to learn things. Mm. I was just trying to be surprised. You know, if someone does a phenomenal trick in a game that I've not seen before. Mm -hmm. I'm rewinding that 10 times. I don't care if he's playing for my team against my, I don't care. You know, if you do something, 
that I see that you think, oh, no one else saw that. That was amazing. It's not a fancy, fancy flick. It's it's a dragging four people towards you, knowing that somewhere 50 yards away there's a verse ball on, mm-hmm. that you have to wait for everything to click into place and you've not looked, but you know everything's going to happen, and then you reverse that ball 50 yards. And I'm going, I know what you've done there, mate. That's amazing. I don't care who you are when you do that. I That's the joy of football for me, or the joy of anything, the, that mm. beautiful creativity. And creativity is a big thing. So it doesn't matter if you're wearing a green strip or a blue strip or a red strip. I just love that. Apart from De Bruyne, who has take, kind of taken on um, Silver's mantle as the kind of object of your affection? Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough at the, at the moment. There's, I mean, I like lots of players around, but I can, I've got hopes for a few. Okay. You know, I've got Ooh. hopes for... Grealish to mm. I, mean, I did a piece on Grealish in his first season and it was just really early days in his first season at Villa and I did a piece for BBC website and said this kid's unbelievable This I can't believe how good this is and it was a, it was a wee bit sniffed at at the time you know but you look at it back at it now and 100 million quid later and people know <laughs> it's a bit of talent so there are players that do things but you don't even have to be just the pure creative ones I mean Hibs are my Scottish team mm. now mm-hmm. and I, I was going to see Hibs most weeks. And most, you watch him play and you're thinking, is John McGinn really as good as I think he is? <laughs> you know, really? Because I think he's great. Or am I seeing this through green tinted glasses? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, turns out, it turns out he is. Yeah. And yeah. when he went to Nivella, um, I got asked by number Rip 5 Live and I, I did one of my kind of, right, I'm going to stop you all now. Villa fans, you are going to love this guy. You don't know anything about him. You are all going to to a man and a woman fall in love with this guy. Because <laughs> A, he's an extremely good player, but B, you've never seen anybody work so hard in your mm. life. And he's actually brilliant. And if you're a Villa fan, if you're a villain, you love him, don't you? You just love that guy because he's given you everything you've got. Mm. So now and again, I'll, I'll be honest, at the moment, I I kind of got a thing for Jorginho and have had for a long time. Okay. Um, Chelsea fans were giving him dogs abuse for a long time. Mm. And I'm watching it going, uh, I'm sorry, I think that's a genius. <laughs> where, where am I getting this wrong? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, he passes sideways. No, no, he's controlling the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He doesn't pass forward enough. Have a look at the stats. Only one player in England plays more through balls than him. Only one. And that was in his season under Sari, where everyone was. And I think it's what happens is somebody well known in the telly says it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's the case. And I'm going, no, it isn't. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I'm a voice in the wilderness. Um, and of course, it looked as if I was just being biased towards a Chelsea player. But you look at him now, and you're thinking, "Hmm, lots of chin stroking there." So, yeah. do you know, like, and for purely biased reasons, yeah, Billy Gilmore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Billy Gilmore is like the most perfect version. Yeah, Chelsea Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm of course obviously going to be biased. Yeah. Obviously, I'll, I'll own up to a bias there. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the Scottish players, I know James. There's a player um, in particular who stood out for you later on in the book in the Scotland days. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Duncan Ferguson. Uh, I think he deserves a special mention from the Scotland days. So yeah, I'd just like to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, it was. Uh, we're talking about taking stories out. I would probably took eighty percent of the stories about Duncan Ferguson out, <laughs> <laughs> leaving them for later publications. Great, <laughs> Duncan's. Uh, it's funny. The I, I like unusual people. They can be anywhere unusual, but if they think. Strangely, laterally, unlike others, I'm immediately intrigued by them. Um, and, you know, it's a lot, of, particularly people that are misunderstood within what their industry is. I find them always an intriguing group and I watch them closely. And sometimes they just turn out to be head cases and you get bored from them quite quickly. But now and again, there's a bit more than that. Duncan was one of them, just the first time I met him. 
he was so unusual and so strange and you know he, he just had no filters whatsoever and you know I'd, I, I the, the immediate thing would be to not to turn off someone that that mm, they're not showing enough respect like this young Duncan at 16 behaving the way he was and I'm thinking that's not lack of respect that's just nuts so yeah. I want to watch him and I want to listen to him and yeah. I understand his head and it was, it was joyous and of course there was bad things he did over the years and things that were wild and but i enjoyed the weirdness of it and so i just watched him and the, the maddest thing now is you meet the big man now yeah and you just look at him and think who are you and what have you done with him <laughs> yeah because <laughs> he is sensible <laughs> yes it makes me laugh that he's sitting on the bench next to rafa now because to me there couldn't be any different characters and he's sitting there next yeah. to rafa but and yeah, you, you don't you just love that with those people you know you can find out most of them if they're really just a bit daft or stupid or whatever you, you do get bored of them quite quickly you, you know there's not there's nothing to see there you just move on they do the same same things everyone else does but people at hammer like gaza you know they are interesting studies mm. and they might have I mean, you could go and do clinical studies about, you know, but um, I certainly, James, you're right. There are some personality studies in the book, and he's certainly one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gets, he, he gets. There's another one. I'll tell you, there's another one. He's a totally unknown player, and a guy called John McNaught. Yeah. Nobody knows him, right? And nope. he wasn't in any way the most important player, even the top 20 most important players I played at Chelsea. Nowhere near it. But he was interesting mm. in his character. Interesting. and the story was interesting how he looked at life was interesting so that story's not that stuff's not really about me but he probably gets 10 times as much time as Kerry Dixon who was our golden ball <laughs> goal scorer right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard Kerry's story before yeah you don't want to hear it that story is really funny though it's where he has a, a like a bit of whiskey before the game yeah yeah <laughs> And you've written it really like phonetically, like saying what he says. In I was going to try and do a Glaswegian accent. I pulled out. It's the not last as good minute. as Pat's uh, Cockney accent. I wouldn't. But I, exactly. I don't try it. It's gonna. It's gonna get. Everything. I mean, my Cockney accent is as good as Pat's Cockney <laughs> yes. accent. But you yes. sort because he sort of has a drink, and I, I the way you've written it, you sort of go like, "Oh, come on, uh, John, don't don't let down the Scottish team. You're, <laughs> you, we don't want to appear that we're all drinkers and this stereotype. It's terrible." And it, it really made me laugh. I thought it was um, just very I'm, well written. I did. I did, it was interesting writing about John because the whole arc the narrative mm -hmm. arc was quite incredible of him because i had known him since i was 11. yeah i love doing that and there's lots of people like that and there are other but you know it was a kind of good one to put in it's something else just jumped into my mind there but i keep on taking it in strange directions i'm going to listen to your question <laughs> okay. and, <laughs> and there'll be more from pat after the break as we chat music Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, we're Football Book Club Podcast, and we need your support. Now, let's let's drop the appeal music. Hi, everyone. James here, and I just want to tell you about the brand new Football Book Club Club, which you can join to receive bonus weekly episodes, access to exclusive member events, and your very own Football Book Club book book bookmark, all for the same price as a used copy of Darren Huckabee's 2007 book, Hux. So if you enjoy the podcast and need to hear more afterwards, head to patreon.com forward slash football book club. Enjoy the episode. Can we chat a little bit about Pat Nevin? Uh, I've written down the culture vulture in my notes. I don't know why I use that phrase. I feel a bit, <laughs> I'm kind of regretting that immediately. But um, I, it's, it's, it's the first book, moving away from the football side of things a bit, it's the first book uh, that we've read that has all the chapters named after songs all the way through it, which is, which is a fun theme throughout it. And I did go on a Spotify playlist and listen to it all just before we came on the show. It was, it was great. Some ABBA in there, which was unexpected, but um, I enjoyed yeah, that. That was unexpected. Well, now, okay, be, be honest. Were, were a couple of those because they fit with the chapter, or are they all like Stone Cold songs you love? Everyone's fits with the chapter. Oh. And, and and you like them as well? A lot. Um, I would say I would like, there's one in there which I quite like, which is um, that are aimed at my wife or my daughter or my son. So uh, for Annabelle, she liked ABBA, so I put an ABBA song in ah. there. I like ABBA too. Not a word against ABBA. And Peely loved ABBA. Um, SOS is a banger. That's one of my... I, I, I've none, I, I have nothing. I'm not a musical snob. I know it sounds odd, but I'm not a musical snob. Um, the Shine On a Crazy Diamond one was a kind of... I loved Pink Floyd as a kid. Yeah. I hide that. Um, but it fitted perfectely when I'm talking about Neville Southall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Another character. If you look closely enough, there was a wee bit... I tried to do it in such a way where if you knew the tune, it was kind of a little earbug. Well, you were reading. Yeah, him. yeah. Once or twice that would happen, but I don't know if it worked like uh, that. It, I definitely, well, I definitely had pulp in when I, when I read the first um, chapter. Uh, do you remember the first time? That definitely came into my head when I read it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I mean, I, I, I did think about reading it to the playlist, but that would have been very confusing because I'd had different <laughs> different attitudes do, going all the way through. I do own every piece of music in there, and uh, yeah, but and most of them are important. I mean, stuff like uh, uh, "This Is the Day" by the there is perfect because I love songs. that track. Meant a lot at time as well. Um, and yeah, they, but they are—they're not random songs. They're of songs course, I know, I know. There's definitely there's stuff like MGMT Kids. I was like, okay, okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. I was like, okay, because because obviously most of the book because it's set during the 70s and 80s is sort of you know Cocteau Twins and uh, mm-hmm. Simple Minds. It's the very much the. It was just nice to sort of seeing a couple of modern influences. Hey, there's, there's more stuff to come, man. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> another another playlist. 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. definitely, one hundred percent. Is there? Um, I don't think. It, I, I can't think of any footballer, even some of the ones who've got on to maybe pursue musical careers, who are as associated with music as you are. Like almost as much as you are football in some ways. People associate you with you know being a dj and being uh you know a, a huge fan of uh, this the music that you mention throughout in the thing and it's, it's 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 why is it so important to you that not i'm not that's not me that's not me going like what, what are you thinking like i generally i'm just interested why that is how that became such a huge part of your life god what a brilliant question no one's asked that that's a cracker um i think it's is it that of all the arts it's the ones that touches my soul most um and it's helped me so many times through the years. Um, and the vast, huge amount of bands that have, that have helped me when I've been happy, when I've been really sad, when I've been struggling, um, when I've gone through difficult times, it doesn't matter. Music has always been the thing that's actually helped me get through it. Mm. I can always tell when I'm getting, I don't get depressed really or down. I'm very fortunate that way, but I can always tell there's something really wrong if I don't really fancy music, listen to something. Ah, I, I know there's something wrong. Okay. I really know there's something wrong. I don't get any joy out of it. Um, and I just, a great admiration of it as well. I think mean, something you can't do, but you see the, the beautiful creativity of it. Uh, it's also, and I will be absolutely honest with you, it's a fabulous escape. Mm. It's a brilliant escape. When I knew from a very young age, getting into football, you know, when I say you become professional, that if I allowed it, it would take over my entire life because it does with people. And I very specifically never wanted to be a manager for that reason. I don't want it to be my whole life. I love football, I love playing, but it's not my life. I've got, you only get one of these lives. You got to make the best of it. So now and again, when it was getting really dragging in, getting to a gig, going to see a band you like, getting some new music, finding some, or talking to friends about it and finding new stuff, it was a brilliant escape and release. So that's part of it as well. So there's a, a whole bunch of reasons for it. But the concept of it, I remember one player, saying it one player, it's what used to be one of my opening gambits to, to anyone. It was just, what, what's your favourite band? Right? You, you say that to people, mm. well, you, you did yeah. it when younger, I still do for a laugh. Because you know, you're talking about them and their interests. I remember a player saying, I don't really like music. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, God, that yeah, well, just like, what's, said, uh, what's that song they play when I score a goal? That yeah, yeah. Fratelli's <laughs> usually. No, really. Like what? It just changes your viewpoint or something. Yeah, completely. yeah. It's like if it's not- Owen doesn't like films. That's something which we were fascinated by. Michael Owen's watched eight films in his life. Exactly. I mean, fun of it doesn't. It shouldn't define you in any way. What you're doing. What somebody, somebody recently, a friend of mine who I worked with somewhere. And he said to me, I've read your book. He goes, it was, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I didn't want it to end. It was fantastic. I went, oh, great. He goes, it's, it's A, the best book I've ever read. And I went, oh, that's fantastic. I'm thinking, what's the B? He goes, uh, it's the only book I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only book he's ever read. He learned to read with your book. That's amazing. <laughs> Which means it's also the worst book he's ever and you, read. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that's that, true. James. <laughs> 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 can, I, can I say one other thing about it? Can you guess? Right, the three of you here. Mm-hmm. Quick, you have to guess his profession. I bet you don't get it. Uh, I was going to guess footballer, oh. but uh, no. book critic. What <laughs> book critic? Book critic? <laughs> <laughs> You're not too far off. Oh my god! Oh, that's no, it's not book critic. Oh god, is it comedy writer? Because it feels like it's going to be your. You're coming for us now. Uh, Screenwriter. <laughs> You're not far. It's journalist. Wow, they've never read a book. Yeah. Modern journalists. And I, I wasn't in any way judgmental of it. 
and you know I couldn't be he quite liked it I suggested you should go and read some more <laughs> <laughs> we've got those loads of football books if you want them I've got a, yeah. I've got a cupboard full of them if you if more than welcome it is it is bad how little how few books we've read since doing this podcast yeah. I'm like we've re- just reading football books at the moment because we don't yeah. have anything else I'm like halfway through a history book that I'm really enjoying but I'll never finish it you know you know we're going to jump back in Jimmy Floyd yeah. Hasselbanks at some point yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's, that's the problem it's how, it's how, it. I've, I've been trying to read books that aren't football books because for the last couple of years it's all we've done so in between football books I try and interestingly enough I'm actually reading a Camus book at the moment to, so to see you talking about him I was like oh uh, which one you say I'm reading yeah. The Stranger at the moment ah The Stranger yeah yeah um, I read it in French, but I didn't understand it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the one you need to go for. But um, no, I, I can. Everyone goes through a phase of well, not everyone, but a lot of people do go through that kind of Camus phase. But um, we're going through our Camus been, phase. We're reading a lot of Chris Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living my life backwards. Basically, as younger, much as I got older. Um, but yeah, the, the whole music things. It's, it is a joy, and it's, there are moments in music. Um, where I think many people who are into whatever, and it, it doesn't actually matter if you're going to see Nicki Minaj or whatever, or you're going to see the Cocteau Twins. It doesn't matter if it has that effect on you, it has that effect on you. Mm-hmm. It can be st- stunningly beautiful and great. Um, and it's a good thing to share. And one of my, that's the other thing, getting back to asking that question, I kind of just like sharing. I just love sharing. And see when you give some of your mates or friends and say, by the way, listen to this, and they've not heard it before. You know, what a joyous moment it is to mm. give something that they they become in love with. It's a it's a brilliant brilliant thing, and I love when people do it to me. Obviously, so. is that why you click so much with John Peel? Because that was one of my that was one. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's probably few people with a, as encyclopedic a knowledge of of music as John Peel had. But it was reading the book. I, I had I had no idea about that segment. It was amazing when uh, you used to go into the studio at Radio mm. One. And uh, you would uh, write, the notes, yeah. write the notes for all the songs he was playing. And he wouldn't reference you on air. He would just say, my footballer friend or something, I think it was, he said. Yeah, oh, the, the famous footballers. And that was it. Some yeah, that was... things say that, but, that but, but that would be rare. Um, he would some now and again during shows, but it was always because he knew I was very similar to him in the fact that we did what we did for the love of it, mm-hmm. not for the fame. And John was very much like that. Um, but we just both happened to be people who were half decent at what we did. And we've seen a lot of people who were also doing what we did, but were doing it for different reasons. Sure. Which was for the fame, which was for the notoriety, which was for the celebrity, all that stuff, which we found a bit tiresome, just didn't interest us greatly. So it was a, an immediate link in that way. Um, and also I just loved his humour. I thought it was brilliant. I love dry senses of humour. I mean, people who are, you know, that deadpan, I just, enjoy that dead band because you you almost need to work at that humor to understand it mm-hmm. but we scots have a great advantage because there's millions of us with that humor i'm not one of them but from brian mcclair to you know andy murray to you know there's millions of them <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but it's funny when you get to know it and Peely was very much like that um so i we got on just really well because there was no show there was just a couple of blokes talking yeah we kind of liked each other's Jobs and then John turning up at the FA Cup final. Yeah, yeah that's so yeah. funny. And he turns up head to toe with a red <laughs> suit on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not acceptable behaviour. Unacceptable. <laughs> just a, and this is the, the nice thing about it. The, can I tell you something? I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to, can I go into a wee note for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Was, yeah. Bottom of the page notes. I once did a. I, I 
read books, football books, or not football books always, but quite often sports books. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the people interviews the writers at the Edinburgh Festival. So I, you know, it's nice. It's a nice thing to do. It's lovely. It's nice. In fact, I get for the first time I get interviewed this year. I was on the other side because I was the interview was lovely. Oh, by cool. McDermott, which was great. Um, but I, this one player once he came up and I said, well, in actual fact, the book's very good. I really like it. But just before we we're going in the green room, we we're going to go do an hour on the book. Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to delicately tiptoe here. And I said, you don't see who's written the book, you know. Like, and I knew the guy and there's no way he'd written that language. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, no, 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 no. And he told me the name of the writer. And I went, well, maybe a wee bit more credit that would help. But, you know, I'll skip over that. And I said, what's your favourite bits? And you know, he didn't write it. And he did. He said what you think I'm going to say. He said, I've not read it. Oh, no. That was this moment of... And that's before you had to go out, and then you had to go out and kind of talk about... An interview. Oh. Yeah. So I, well, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I, I said, well, I'm not doing that. So I went and just talked to him about career. Wow. Something yeah. Else. Blimey. But I, that was the kind of... I find that kind of unusual, you know. So when I don't get any... Up for any awards for the books, uh, for the book, and somebody else hasn't written it gets, I'll be like... Yeah, <laughs> especially if it's that guy who you had to interview. That'll be yeah. the ultimate slap in the face. Um, it's just last question on music. Just I was thinking about John Peel again. I remember I remember once watching something about. I think it was just after he died, and it was about he had a music box where he kept all his favorite records by I think by the door or something like that in case there was like a fire or something. He had to he wanted to save because he obviously had thousands and thousands and thousands of records. He wanted to save a lot. I remember watching it quite interestingly because I really liked the White Stripes when I was growing up and I remember he had a lot of White Stripes records in there which he loved them. He, he did yeah. love them, yeah. And I I wondered if, if if you I mean I'm guessing you don't have the same thing but if you did if you had to save like a few records what would be the ones you would have by the door? Get the violins out now. Um <laughs> About six years ago, and it's that just behind us there. Oh no! no. I don't like where the story's going already. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it's okay in the end because uh, anyway, we went out. Um, I was at a funeral of a good friend, and uh, we lost him. Well, the, the biggest personality I've ever met in my life, and he was a great friend, and he died in an accident. That's and uh, died. And when I came home, flooded. <gasps> Everything is flooded. All records. Flooded, and the whole collection—not the whole, but the vast majority—had oh, completely no. soaked. Oh. Ah, but no, I didn't care. I didn't care because, really, in comparison to what had happened to Danny, no, yeah. I didn't. Uh, care. Okay. I'm not going. Okay. I really have half another. They can get the music. The music's about listening to. It. You can you can always find the music. Yeah. Um. Got so Spotify. some of the best ones, happily, some of the best ones were higher up there, so they didn't get the soaking. But the ones in the bottom are all wrecked. So that, that's it's an unusual answer for somebody who loves vinyl and loves collecting. Mm. But I've never, funnily, it's never hurt. It's never tugged at the heartstring at all because, you know, I'd have given everyone their empty to get Danny for another couple of weeks. Yeah. Great lad. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful. It, it, and also, I think it's important to mention here how in the background, there are, however, framed, I, I don't know if they are records or just framed pictures of covers. I don't know they are. I can see Flaming Lips. Yeah. That's, is that David Bowie? David Bowie, yeah. 
Dave Bowie. Yeah. Bowie, flaming lips. This I, is. A- I, I will say that the Bowie album behind you sort of looks like it could have been you in one of the <laughs> in the in the pictures. That's the best compliment I've ever been paid in my life. Um, oh, <laughs> it's. I'll be honest. It's a very blurry picture from here. So, you know. <laughs> I'm still taking it. I'm still happy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, before before we move on from the John Peel chat uh, part, just, uh, when I was reading it. I just think it's it's just such a it's such an interesting friendship, and mm. I was thinking, imagine that happening now. I just can't imagine like Jamie Vardy doing paperwork for Zane Lowe at Radio One. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could, that's all that was in my head. But, but yeah, it's just great. The other side of it is, I think when most people they, they want to picture themselves and then put it online and yeah. show everybody who they know what they're doing. Mm. But yeah, yeah. this is precisely the opposite. It's a look. We, this has nothing got to do, and it's just a friendship you have with somebody. Yeah, it's not for sharing. That kind of moves me on to the next thing I was going to mention, which was celebrity. In the book, you mention how it makes you feel queasy, uh, and mm. you know there are bits when you turn down going on uh, Wogan, I think, uh, and shows like that. But you would happily come on Football Book Club, thank you. Um, how would you find being a footballer in today's day and age with all the social media and the attention and everything? Would would you would you struggle more so now than perhaps in the eighties and nineties? I think you find a way. Um, hmm. I, I don't. I don't actually think you need to do any of those things if you don't want it. Sure, it's a oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a choice. You, if you know, say, oh, well, it's, I, I do a, a thing on selling your boots for, and you're getting paid, you know, two hundred thousand pounds a year. But I'm getting abuse for it. I'm thinking, well, don't sell the boots then. <laughs> don't do them. Yeah. Just, you need the money. I'll be yeah. happy. That was Puma at the time. I got a grand a year or something like for them. But they wanted me to put the advert, put me in the adverts. And I said, no, I'm, I'll just wear your boots. That'll do. You know, and it's, if, if you play that game, there's no getting around it. And it's unfair. But if you play the celebrity game, there's a cost. There's always been a cost. And there always will be a cost. Um, sometimes, and it's often an unfair cost. But don't pretend to yourself there isn't. Um, and I think I might have mentioned the book. I think you look at somebody like Juan Mata. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you see Juan Mata doing all that stuff? Mm. No, he just goes like quite a normal life. I, I DJed a wee while ago, but Gates Gamendetta DJed after me a couple of weeks later. He seemed perfectly normal. Oh wow! Okay, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Like, same, same club as me, and similar, not similar, but you know, left field. Was that stuff. like? Was that a club? Fe- was that like a football former footballers club night? No, no, like, no. Uh, no it's, uh, <laughs> Funny, I, I know you're winning it. I, I get that in me. No, it's just it's a kind of there's a, a lot. I do can I used to do quite a lot of DJing. Have to see used yeah. to now because the last two years you're doing nothing. Of course, sure. Um, but there's little clubs in and around the country, and I've done it for years and years, but nobody knew because you didn't tell anyone. You just d- DJed in a club with some indie kids, and it was fine. But then Twitter happened, and you're mm. stuffed. You can't hide it anymore. Mm-hmm. People put on Twitter that you and put a picture of it when you don't want it. Yeah. It, but anyway, it, it, I think you can make a choice. The the hardest thing is if you might, certainly in my team, the thing that I was willing to speak out about are the things that were issues-based things. And it was an unusual thing for footballers at the time. That's a dilemma now. Because if you're Marcus Rashford or you're Raheem or whatever, and you're attacking issue-based things now, they're getting much more publicity for it and there is much more anger and you that anger gets to you quicker. That's hard. And mm-hmm. but it's whether you can deal with it. I I was on Five Live last week, right? And I don't I'm not a soapboxer most of the time, but something annoys me, it annoys me. And I was a wee bit annoyed by this kind of was it thirty percent of 
the Premier League players have been double vaxxed. Yeah. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, if, if, has everyone else gone and done that, but you don't need to? Mm. It's, why are you different? Why are you special? And I was really quite upset about it. But of course, I know I'm going to get the anti-vaxxers hammering me for that. Of course. To which my next thing is, by the way, I have a Twitter feed. Please get in touch with me and hammer me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I'm, de- I'm demanding you slaughter me. Okay, I so that's all of our fans who are anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Get yeah. on to Pat's I, Twitter. You can say what you feel. If I will say, and I won't call you an idiot. I'll just say I disagree with yeah. you. You yeah. may call me an idiot and you may call me that. You have no effect on me. I will, however, always listen to a sensible, intelligent debate. And, that's, and I don't care where it's come from. I will always do that. And that's kind of what I was going to bring up, bring on to because uh, you, that is quite a refreshing thing in the book, how... Where you know you you say how you're you're pretty anti uh, uh, no platforming and people not being able to have but uh, point of view and uh, say what they want to say. You like to challenge it with debate. We're truly ignorant of the people who don't listen. Yeah, I I, I mean, kind of, and I think that is to be honest with social media. A lot of the time, that is something which we don't we don't see a lot of these days. It is very much this is what I think. I don't care about the others. And I thought it was just quite a nice perspective because in the book you go and. It's quite an extreme example, but you go and confront a few members of the National Front who were Chelsea fans at the time and talk to them about, uh, call them out about some of their racist chants. And obviously, you don't really see eye to eye. I won't ruin the story through the the thing, but at least, you you know, you try and enter into debate and try and, because you're never going to bring anyone round by name calling or just ignoring or calling someone an idiot. I think the only way you ever can do it, if you're going to get any chance of doing it, is by entering into some reasoned debate. And I think that is at least there's, what there's, tried. Yeah. There's a lot of that around just now. I mean, I live in Scotland. And if you're a yes or a no to independence, the other side think you're an absolute idiot. Well, 50%, and it is about 50% can't be idiots, and the other 50% are dead intelligent, or the other way around. Yeah. It's, it's just not sense. Similarly, Brexit. Uh, I know where I stand. Of course. Brexit. Yeah. But I wouldn't say to the others, you're a bunch of stupid idiots who don't know what you're thinking about. I will listen to you and see what you say. I might disagree with you, but I will listen. It's a reasoned debate, and I think reasonableness is a wee bit lost. Although I don't think it is lost. I think it's lost in social media. Mm. But I don't think it's lost. I think there is uh, there is a lot of people that are reasonable. I think the British are basically reasonable yeah. people. I, I think you're probably you know, right so, with that. Uh, We've gone, we've gone to Ernest again. <laughs> uh, John Parrott, nice guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of ways to change. Without spoiling the book, uh, you, you, uh, one thing about this book is you're not, we've mentioned uh, racism uh, being quite a prominent thing, which again, sadly, is another thing that's been in the media a lot, especially since the summer. Um, you don't really pull any punches uh, throughout the whole thing. And I think it's very, uh, you don't have to talk about those topics. You could quite easily have written a book where it was just uh, you talking about your career and having these funny anecdotes about John Peel and all these things. But you do feel like you do have to weigh into some of the bigger debates about, you know, there's some, there are some very taboo subjects in there as well, but uh, racism as well, especially, and homophobia, like you mentioned. Um, that, must, that must have been a very conscious decision to put in there. Were, were you ever warned about taking any of that out? Or? Hey, no, no, there was certainly it was, it was a discussion point, and I just said, no, it's there. It was a big part of life. Yeah. Um, something I've uh, very strong about don't hide behind the fact there's a there's a section about pedophilia within football as well yeah mm-hmm. you know i i wasn't going to duck that i was no. going to write about that and the ignorance of the times um and because I, I can't see any reason to do that i think every other subject i can still poke fun at, at it and myself mm. the, the reason the reason a couple of laughs in the racism stuff i mean certainly one of their players was getting dogs abuse at a rangers game <laughs> 
and then it was substituted by a, a, a guy called Priest. Oh, yeah, and that was that like, was, killed yeah. me that. It absolutely killed me that. <laughs> so, in the midst of it all, and that's what I wanted to do. I grew up with something where there was sectarianism was big, hmm. but Billy Connolly made it okay to laugh at it. He made it okay to laugh at it. So most of them, you tell the series, you say the series, you say the piece, but you're not saying it's not important by realizing that there can be stupidity and humor within it. Um, and most of those subjects, even the the homophobia stuff, I mean, I, I got it pushed towards me lots because I was slightly different. So lots of people must have thought I was gay. Like, I, like, I couldn't care less. If you think you think we like, mm. what difference would it make anyway if I was? I hope not to be, but it doesn't even matter. I don't see any difference. And I think, I think most people in society now under a certain age think exactly that way. Yeah. And that's one mm. of the strong things. If there's one thing in the book I was worried about, can I tell you my one biggest worry in this book? So I wait for a year and a half for it to come out. And I'm pleading that the first openly gay player comes out and big name gay player comes out. Because you know what? I think it's going to be fine. Yeah. It's going to be all right. And yeah. it's, going to, it's certainly going to be all right within the game. And certainly with fellow players, it's going to be absolutely fine. Because yeah, that's absolutely. the way society is just now. You know, society. And I, I, was, I thought, see if this comes out and the big players come out, I'm going to, going to look as if I'm bandwagon jumping. But I'm not. And I wanted to say that as well. But I mean, in the midst of it all, yeah, you want to tackle those subjects. You want to see what you feel about those subjects. You want to talk about, not in the current language, uh, but in my own language, about equality and everyone being treated exactly the same. So I'm kind of happy I, I kind of got that out there. There's actually not been a... I mean, the book sold pretty well. There's not been a lot of comeback from it. You know, no one said, how dare you say that? I mean, I was expecting a little bit more because there's some things, the anti-racism stuff. Now, back in that time, the black players, if they'd, none of them spoke out. Now, that's unthinkable now, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And people now, judging by today's standards, are saying, well, why didn't you speak out? Well, it was impossible then. And the abuse that they were getting then, and also the fact that they would probably be sidelined completely then. So you're just seen as a, a, a troublemaker. So mm. I felt it was my position to speak out. But what about white savior complex when you look back at it now? So that, I, I think it's a really intriguing area, error, area yep. and possibly error. But if I go back now, I'd still do the same thing. But I can understand that debate and that discussion. Okay. Uh, but no one's actually said that yet. But I, I, I can think that would be a perfectly reasonable discussion you have. Sure. Okay. That that makes total. That does make total sense. I think it's it's hard to judge things by yeah modern standards because yeah as you say being the white savior. But equally, if if no one's speaking out about it, then someone has to be the person to do it. And you're a person who will hopefully not be abused in the same way as as the the people who are being racistly abused so it sort of feels like you're using your position in a positive way in that sense yeah and i did certainly make the arguments in the book and understand it but um it's, it's, it's an interesting topic and again i'm always willing to talk i'm always willing to listen i'm always willing to communicate unless it's abusive and then you just get ignored <laughs> that is a, a good takeaway message from the episode i think and sadly i think we've ended it on an earnest note pat like you were so worried about but <laughs> <laughs> no uh but you know what can you do what can you do um part two is is, is coming right because the book ends at the beginning of your permanent move to tranmere which uh, yeah. it, um, which is this mad story about almost going to galatasaray yes yeah so um and then what happens after that uh, is, if you think of what happened to my career i mean i played 
probably my best football of my career was at Tranmere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was unthinkable when you think of the place, the place I'd been before. Um, but then I got to be chief executive and player at Motherwell after being at Kilmarnock, which was maybe the happiest year of my career. But then I'm going back to Scotland as a different person and seeing it in a different way. I'm chairman of the PFA at that point uh, when I was with Tranmere. So the madness of that was, I mean, just off the scale. So when I started writing about that uh, right afterwards, it, it, I, honestly, I just, I just didn't stop. I couldn't stop. Wow. So uh, I, I, as we speak, and as I speak to you now, I'm meeting the editor next week. And uh, and he's going to. I gave him the the USB by the way, and then I took it back off him to. It's on there. I'll show you it soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do when I haven't done any work. I go, I go into a meeting and say it's on here, but you can't have it. Um, well, we can't wait. But to next year, maybe. Oh, there it is. Thank oh, brilliant. You. I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. And it's not really that important. Um, <laughs> to you, maybe. Uh, to us, it is. We want to get more. Um, well, I, I just. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I just like doing it, and it's. It, I hopefully it will be, you know, within the next year or two. Brilliant. Um, but I, that's if it was if I could have it out tomorrow, I would. But that's sadly not how the book world works, as I am yep. sure you know. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, Accent of Football is out now through Octopus Publishing. It's great. You should all go out and buy it. We're going to chat for a further 20 minutes now for our Patreon subscribers. If you enjoy the show, do join the Football Book Club club by heading to www.patreon.com forward slash footballbookclub. That episode will be out next Monday, but there's loads more to catch up with on there. Anyone's got any thoughts on the episode or any questions for us, follow us at Footy Book Club on Twitter, Football Book Club on Instagram or on our Facebook page. Pat, thank you so much for joining us. We loved having you on. Thanks for writing the book. Thanks thank for coming on. Very much. <laughs> and I'm, thank, I'm really happy you enjoyed it. You have so no good. idea actually how much that means to me. That yeah, yeah, I loved it. We, we really did. We really did. Um, any last words, everyone, to, to end it? I spoke too much. I don't want to steal this. <laughs> well, we'll just end it on that. We'll end it on that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Pat. Thanks for listening to Football Book Club. It featured James Bug, Jack Bernhardt, James Balgen, and Pat Nevin. The show was created and produced by James Bug. Thanks to Pat for writing the book, The Accidental Footballer. It's available now through Octopus Publishing. Go out and buy it. It's brilliant. The theme music, Hills Behind, is the work of Silent Partner and is using the Creative Commons 4.0 license. We'll be back in a fortnight with our next episode and beware, it might just contain Michael Owen. We'll see you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.